Turn with me to Genesis chapter 17. <clears throat> We've been looking really at portions of the life of Abraham. Really, the passages that we've been going over have been about the covenant that God has made with Abraham. <clears throat> in chapter 12 and then chapter 15, that, that first introduced the covenant. Chapter 15 reiterates the covenant. And we've seen how uh, the Lord had specifically chosen a, a, a time to reiterate the covenant to Abraham after a number of things had perhaps went wrong, at least in his mind it went wrong. So we see how God had used that, that, those things that had happened to Abraham as a, a means to say, this is what I have promised you, believe. And after Abraham had went to Egypt, he lied about his wife being his sister, and there was the whole ordeal with the Pharaoh. He leaves there uh, really humiliated. His nephew Lot gets uh, taken captive uh, by the kings that have come to to conquer the king of Sodom and the king of Gomorrah and the others. So Abraham gathers a large army. He goes back to get Lot and some of the other captives and bring and brings back all the spoils. And it's at this time that we had talked about that the Lord had appeared to him once again to reiterate the covenant that he had made with him. And had promised him one is going to come from his own body. Uh, promised him, of course, the land is part of the promise. The seed is part of the promise. You know, there's a number of things that the Lord had reiterated to him. And we saw that magnificent uh, display when the Lord had, uh, had Abraham to, to cut the animals into two and put them on either side. And we talked about that this was a way that a covenant was made. You would take these specific animals, these five animals, cut them in half except for the birds, put them on either side. You and the person you were making a covenant with would pass through them. And the idea was, if I don't hold my end of the bargain or my end of the agreement, the contract, may this be done to me. But the amazing thing of that whole chapter was the Lord had a deep sleep to fall over Abraham Abram at this point, his name hasn't changed yet, Abram. And it was the Lord that passed through there by himself, making that oath, swearing by his own self that he would do exactly what he said uh, for Abraham, which was an amazing and beautiful picture. And giving us that understanding as well, that this covenant that is being made with Abraham is a pure act of God's grace. There is nothing for Abraham really to contribute to as far as within the agreement itself. However, in chapter 17, when the covenant is reiterated once again, it is at a specific time in Abraham's life. And this is the amazing thing and another grace of God that is just seen throughout all of this is that in times of distress and times of doubt, the Lord once again reiterates his promise. And not only does he reiterate it in this particular chapter, but he also gives Abraham the sign. This is the sign between you and me. After a number of things have happened once again in Abraham's life. This is perhaps a time of doubt for Abram. Considering what had happened in chapter 16, and we'll look at that a little bit. 
that maybe this is a, a, a part of Abraham's life that things are not happening. A number of years have went by since the Lord had promised me this, and still nothing has changed. And the Lord, in the time of Abram's doubt, once again reiterates his promise. And to see a biblical figure, a giant within the scripture, if you will, like Abram, having a time of doubt, and instead of the Lord really just, as, as we would put it in our terms, just thumping him over the head with a Bible, instead the Lord graciously, once again, ministers to him and goes even further to demonstrate his promise to Abram. And there are now things that Abram is called to do in light of the covenant that God has made, not in order to receive the covenant promises or anything like that, but it is part of, it is part of Abram's walk in faith, his demonstration of his faith. The last chapter, as we looked at in chapter 15, after the Lord had said all that he did, it says, Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Now there's the outworking of that faith that the Lord has called him to in light of all that God has done for him. And as we talked about before, there is no difference when it comes to the salvation of God's people in the time of the old covenant to the time of the new covenant. Abraham believed God. Righteousness was credited to him, and the only righteousness that was ever credited to any was the righteousness of Christ even before he came and accomplished all that he did. In light of what Christ would accomplish, in light of the redemption that he would accomplish for all of God's people, past, present, and future, it is only Christ's righteousness imputed to Abraham. And then thereafter is the therefore part of salvation. And tonight in chapter 17, we're seeing the therefore part of salvation that not only applied to him, but applies to you and me as well. We're going to read the whole chapter here. Putting everything in context, we get the full picture of everything, and then we will come back and begin to work our way through this. Please stand for the reading of God's Word. <clears throat> this is the inspired Word of God. It is necessary that we read it, that we hear it, that we listen attentively, because the Scripture says, faith comes by hearing, hearing by the Word of Christ. This is the Word of Christ. Let us give our attention to it. Verse 1, Now when Abram was ninety-nine years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless. I will establish my covenant between me and you, and I will multiply you exceedingly. Abram fell on his face, and God talked with him, saying, As for me, behold, my covenant is with you, and you will be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham, for I will make you the father of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make nations of you, and kings will come forth from you. I will establish my covenant between me and you and your descendants after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your descendants after you. 
I will give to you and to your descendants after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan, for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. God said further to Abraham, Now as for you, ye shall keep my covenant, you and your descendants after you throughout their generations. This is my covenant, which you shall keep between me and you and your descendants after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised, and you shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskin, and it shall be the sign of the covenant between me and you. Every male among you who is eight days old shall be circumcised throughout your generations. A servant who is born in the house or who is bought with money from any foreigner who is not of your descendants, a servant who is born in your house or who is bought with your money shall surely be circumcised. Thus shall my covenant be in your flesh for an everlasting covenant. But an uncircumcised male who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin, that person shall be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. Then God said to Abraham, As for Sarai, your wife, you shall not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. I will bless her, and indeed I will give you a son by her. Then I will bless her, and she shall be a mother of nations. Kings of people will come from her. Then Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said in his heart, Will a child be born to a man one hundred years old? And will Sarah, who is ninety years old, bear a child? And Abraham said to God, Oh, that Ishmael might live before you. But God said, No, but Sarah, your wife, will bear you a son. And you will call his name Isaac. And I will establish my covenant with him for an everlasting covenant for his descendants after him. As for Ishmael, I have heard you. Behold, I will bless him and will make him fruitful and will multiply him exceedingly. He shall become the father of twelve princes and I will make him a great nation. But my covenant I will establish with Isaac, whom Sarah will bear to you at this season next year. When he finished talking with him, God went up from Abraham. Then Abraham took Ishmael, his son, and all the servants who were born in his house, and all who were bought with his money, every male among the men of Abraham's household, and circumcised the flesh of their foreskin in that very same day, as God had said to him. Now Abraham was ninety-nine years old, when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin. And Ishmael, his son, was thirteen years old when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin. In the very same day, Abraham was circumcised, and Ishmael, his son. All the men of his household, who were born in the house or bought with money from a foreigner, were circumcised with him. Let's pray together. Gracious God and our Father, we once again ask that the Spirit of God would be among us, giving us understanding of this passage of Scripture, that He would open our eyes, open our minds, affect our hearts to see the glory of our Lord in these verses of this chapter, that we may be encouraged, may be in awe of the glory of our God and have even deeper adoration for Him for our Lord Jesus Christ, for all that He accomplished for us, and the great promises that are sure, and yes, and amen in Him. Oh, Father, give us, give us such understanding, and may Christ be magnified this evening. For it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Please be seated. 
Now, some of these things that we just read through the chapter we're somewhat familiar with. We know that according to the law that was given to the people of Israel after they come out of Egypt, God is establishing His covenant with them or really reiterating His covenant because He makes it with Abraham and it's to Abraham and his descendants. But some of the things that are mentioned in the law are first mentioned to Abraham, such as circumcision. In the law, it was, it was necessary, it was mandated, every male child, eight days old, would be circumcised. That's why the New Testament is very clear when it comes to our Lord Jesus. From the time he, moment he breathed his first breath, all the way until he died, everything that Christ was doing was fulfilling the law of God. Now, there are some questions that inevitably come up as we're looking to a passage like this. We see that God is reiterating his covenant, that God is making promises once again to Abraham. And then he brings up the sign of the covenant between he and Abraham. And what is chosen by the Lord to be the sign is circumcision. We read of circumcision throughout this entire chapter. Why this sign? Why was this sign chosen out of any other thing that the Lord could have done? Well, and that's what we're going to look at. We're going to look at and really try to understand what it means. There is the physical aspect of circumcision. And there's the spiritual aspect of circumcision that is used within the Old Testament as well and that Paul picks up on, especially in many of his epistles in the New Testament. So as we look in, we're looking at this passage, the first eight verses is the Lord reiterating everything that He's going to do. Verses 9 and following, now call for Abraham. He says, be blameless and walk before me blameless. Now these particular set of verses are going to expound for him some of the things that he is to do to demonstrate his faith in the Lord is God. Abraham is 99 years old now. When the Lord first appeared to him back in chapter 12, Abraham was 75 years old. 75 years old, living in Ur of the Chaldeans, a pagan, worshiping false gods, as we understand from other passages of Scripture, his, his father, and they were worshiping other gods. The Lord appears to him when he's 75 to call him out of that country into a land that he's going to give him. He made promises to Abraham when he first called to him. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great, and so you shall be a blessing. These are things that the Lord had said to Abram. He reiterates it in chapter 15. Same thing. He even tells him in chapter 15 that his descendants are going to be in Egypt for 400 years. Till the iniquity of the Amorites is filled. He's going to use his people as the instrument of his divine justice against the, the nations as they go and take over the land. All the nations of the earth are going to be blessed because of Abraham. His descendants are going to inherit a certain 
certain land. God is going to be their God. They are going to be His people. There's going to be an intimacy that, that's going to occur between God and Abraham and his descendants after him that none other within the, the known earth at that time was experiencing, that God is going to personally reveal Himself to Abraham and his descendants thereafter. It is going to be to them that the covenants are made, that the stipulations are made of the law, the commands. All of that is given to them, that God is actually revealing himself. So there are amazing things that God has promised to Abram, now called Abraham. And in those first set of eight verses, he says a number of times, I will, I will, I will. Once again, reiterating that the covenant that is being made here is not dependent upon Abraham for anything, but dependent upon the Lord and his faithfulness to those whom he makes a covenant with. So, Abraham's 75 years old. The Lord makes him all these promises. Then they go into the land. The passage, the chapters before tell us that they were in the land 10 years. After chapter 15, by the way, after the Lord had swore by himself, for there is no one higher than him, greater than him to swear by, they get into the land, they're there ten years, and nothing is happening. Nothing's coming to pass yet of what the Lord had said, that Sarah is going to bear him a son. It's not going to be through any other means. It's not going to be Eliezer, who's a servant in his house. The Lord made clear to Abraham, he's not your heir. One's going to come from your own body. Well, in chapter 16, we read, Ten years have passed, and then Sarah says to Abraham, Take Hagar, my maid, that she will bear a son to me. She says to him in verse 2 of chapter 16, now behold, the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Please go into my maid. Perhaps I will obtain children through her. And Abram listened to the voice of Sarai. Abraham's 86 years old when Ishmael is born. Now, this is another 13 years later. Nothing is different, nothing else has happened. And in light of those times of Abraham's doubts and Abraham trying to go his own way to, to bring to fruition some of the things that the Lord had promised him, that he would have descendants, the Lord once again speaks to him and reiterates what he said beforehand to perhaps a doubting man. Abraham, 99 years old, And the Lord appears to him and says, I am God Almighty. This is how the Lord begins this. He is El Shaddai, God Almighty. Because everything that's coming hereafter is reiterating the very name of God. I am God Almighty and I can bring to pass the things that I have said. You live 10 years, you jump the gun. Here's another 13 years, and you think Ishmael's going to be your heir. And the thing is, is when you go back, the Lord has promised that it's going to be through Abraham and Sarah. 
Not through Abraham and somebody else. And this is actually a very great encouragement to us that someone of this stature, as we would regard him as this stature, he's just a man. Sarah's just a woman. But we see how the Lord used him mightily. And so we look to people like this and we see that perhaps Abraham is not necessarily at this point one that we would look to for spiritual guidance in light of his own times of doubt and disobedience to the Lord. But even in the midst of that, in the midst of doubt, in the midst of uh, sin, we'll just say sin, not necessarily rebellion, but just sin, going his own way, the Lord appears to him and reiterates, I am God Almighty. Because this is important. Because when Abraham laughs and said, is child going to be born to me when I'm 100? child going to be born to Sarah when she's 90? Yes, because he's God Almighty. And nothing is impossible with him. But he calls Abraham to do this. Walk before me and be blameless. I will establish my covenant between me and you. I will multiply you exceedingly. These are things that the Lord is reiterating. I will make you the father of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful. And I will make nations of you. And kings will come forth from you. I will establish my covenant between me and you and your descendants after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your descendants. I will give you and to your descendants after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. Again, this is a unilateral covenant in the sense of it's based upon the Lord. It's based upon the promises of the Lord. It's based upon the grace of God Himself. He's saying, I will, I will, I will. He doesn't say, I'll do this, and you have to do this too in order to, for us to be in agreement here that, that I will do it. Because if you don't do it, then I'm not going to do it. The Lord doesn't say anything like that. He is making certain promises. He's making absolute statements. I will, I will, I will. And this is a pure act of God's grace. Nothing that is necessary on Abraham's part to move God to do these things. The Lord has graciously chosen Abraham out of all the peoples of the earth. Out of all the people in the earth. He is the one that God entered into covenant with. It's not going to be through Ishmael. It's going to be through Isaac. It's going to be through Jacob. It's going to be through this specific posterity through Abraham. And in light of all this graciousness of God and what He is doing, in light of Him being God Almighty, He will bring to pass everything that He promised Abraham in a time of His doubt. And now He says this. He already said earlier, verse 1, Walk before Me and be blameless. Now, here's some of the things that the Lord is going to command of Abraham in light of all that he is doing and has done. God said further to Abraham, Now, as for you, you shall keep my covenant and your descendants after you throughout their generations. This is my covenant, which you shall keep between me and you and your descendants after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised. 
Here's the therefore part. We see what God has done. In light of this, therefore, you do this. But this isn't just a command by the Lord to do this. There were others that uh, practiced circumcision in those days as well. It wasn't just something new that the Lord brought out specifically to Abraham. But it is to be a sign, he says. This is a sign of the covenant between me and you. Now, again, this isn't just the Lord commanding something. It is going to be for the benefit of Abraham too. What has the Lord promised? I will multiply you exceedingly. In you, all the nations of the earth are going to be blessed. And he says, as a sign of this promise that I am making to you, in this agreement here, this is going to be the distinguishing mark between you and I. Every male among you shall be circumcised. We think of circumcision, we think of the cutting off of flesh. We think of, it, it's, a, it's something that is bloody, all of that, but it has purpose. Because the Lord has promised, in your seed, all the nations will be blessed. I will multiply you exceedingly. And for the Lord to give that sign. Now, <clears throat> when it comes to this particular thing, the only one who would know it, if it was ever done, is the parents of the child. The child himself, as he grows up, nobody else is obviously going to see it because he's going to be clothed, but it is going to be a constant reminder of the promises of God. A constant reminder to Abraham, the Lord has promised you that he will multiply you exceedingly. The Lord has promised you in you and actually, Paul takes that all the way down to Christ. When he says seed, he's meaning Christ. All the nations will be blessed. It was a constant reminder, the distinguishing mark to Abraham. This is what the Lord has promised. Here's the sign that he is going to bring it to pass. So it wasn't just something that the Lord had commanded to be done. It was a constant reminder to Abraham specifically. Theologians will go on to say that it was a constant reminder to Israel of the Lord making them fruitful and multiplying them and all of that. But here it's just to Abraham. This promise, this sign is given to Abraham for that specific purpose. Be reminded, Abraham, of what I have promised you. You will have a son. Nations will come from you. Kings will come from you. And every time you see yourself, you will be reminded of this truth. So it does have a great significant purpose just to Abraham. The promised seed is going to be the Redeemer. Abraham receives the covenant sign of that distinguishing mark because of that particular promise of God. It had a greater value than simply distinguishing them from the nations. That something was different about the males in Israel than the rest of the world. 
It had a greater significance than that. It is, it is called upon Abraham to, to do this very thing. That perhaps this is the reasoning why God has chosen this as, as a constant reminder, a distinguishing mark, a sign. But for Abraham, it is also a distinguishing mark of his faith to follow exactly what the Lord had said. I believe you, therefore I am going to orient my life based upon your promises. It wasn't at all that the sign of circumcision was ever a means of salvation or anything like that. It was a response to what God had done, demonstrating faith. Again, you're orienting your whole life to the promises and the presence of God and the demands of God. This is an act of of faith that is being done. Abraham's 99 years old. 99. His son is 13. Perhaps we thank God that it happened to many of us when we were babies. Not so for these men. All the servants in his house, varying ages. But he followed through with exactly what the Lord had said for him to do as a demonstration of his faith. I believe you. And therefore, my life will be characterized by what you have promised. Showing faith. It was never meant to be effectual for salvation. It's only effectual for salvation if it's accompanied by faith. Because it's a demonstration of faith, not a cause of faith, a demonstration of faith. And it's interesting how this specific sign that had perhaps these specific uh, implications to Abraham are then used later on within the Old Testament as a means of not just distinguishing yourself physically from others, but being used as an example of how you are to distinguish yourself in your spirit, in your soul compared to others. Here's what I mean. In Deuteronomy chapter 10. We'll just look at two of these passages. Deuteronomy chapter 10. I'm going to begin in verse 12. It's a little lengthy, but just stay with me there. That way we can see all the implications of what is being said. Now Israel, what does the Lord your God require from you but to fear the Lord your God? This is 400 years later, as the Lord had promised his descendants was going to be, we're going to be in Egypt for 400 years. He's going to bring them out. Now, this is actually 440 years later because this is the second generation that came out of Egypt. Now Israel, what does the Lord your God require from you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways and love him and to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and to keep the Lord's commandments and his statutes which I am commanding you today for your good. Behold, to the Lord your God belong heaven and the highest heavens, the earth and all that is in it. 
Yet on your fathers did the Lord set his affection to love them, and he chose their descendants after them, even you above all peoples, as it is this day. So circumcise your heart, and stiffen your neck no longer. For the Lord your God is the God of gods, and the Lord of lords, the great, the mighty, and the awesome God, who does not show partiality nor take a bribe. He executes justice for the orphan and the widow and shows his love for the alien by giving him food and clothing. So show your love for the alien, for you were aliens in the land of Egypt. You shall fear the Lord your God. You shall not serve or you shall serve him and cling to him and you shall swear by his name. He is your praise and he is your God who has done these great and awesome things for you, which your eyes have seen. Your fathers went down to Egypt, 70 persons in all. And now the Lord your God has made you as numerous as the stars of heaven. So here in Deuteronomy 10, this is the second generation that has come out of Egypt. The first generation that came out of Egypt murmured against the Lord a number of times. And so the Lord said, okay, you're not going. We're going to wander in the wilderness for 40 years until you all die out. And it will be your children that will go in. This is that second generation, and Deuteronomy, meaning second law, is now, this is the time in which Moses is once again reiterating to the second generation the law of God. These are a number of discourses in this book. And he says to them that statement, So circumcise your heart. What does that mean? Well, in the same way as circumcision, the physical circumcision was a reminder to Abraham of God's covenant with him versus everybody else based on the promises of God. So there was a separation that was occurring there. So, too, this is a separation from worldliness. Circumcise your heart. Remove the flesh from your heart. And serve the Lord your God in faithfulness. And there's that reiteration as he is saying this. He is God of gods. He is Lord of lords. He is the great, the mighty, and the awesome God. He is the one whose name that you swear by. He is the one that you cling to. He is the one that you serve and serve Him only. He is the one you are to fear. So there is a, a contrast, an implied contrast, that circumcise your heart, remove yourself from worldliness, because this God is the only God that you are to serve and to love and to honor. Anything else... Is nothing. Anything else will be considered worldliness. And so the, the, the command to circumcise your heart is, is the idea of really setting yourself apart. Sanctification is in view here. Being set apart in your, your speech, in your conduct, in your love for the Lord versus the world that hates Him. In Jeremiah... Jeremiah chapter 4. Jeremiah chapter 4, verse 4. Listen to what Jeremiah says to them. Actually, let's back up to verse 3. For thus says the Lord to the men of Judah and to Jerusalem... Break up your fallow ground, and do not sow among thorns. Circumcise yourselves to the Lord, and remove the foreskins of your heart. Men of Judah, and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, or else my wrath will go forth like fire, and burn with none to quench it, 
because of the evil of your deeds. So it carries the meaning. As, there, as in the physical act, there's, there's the cutting off of the flesh. In the spiritual aspect of it, it is the cutting off of the flesh. How many times do we read in the New Testament that, that the rudiments of the old man, if you will, or, or unregenerate previous selves is called the flesh? It's the same idea. Cut the flesh from you. Give yourselves wholly to the Lord. Do not cling to worldliness. You're to be set apart. You are holy unto the Lord. So it ended up having a greater and deeper meaning. One that the Apostle Paul again reiterates within Romans, within, within Philippians. That those who are of the faith of Abraham are the true circumcision. A circumcision done by the Spirit and not by the letter. As he says in Philippians. So it carried an even greater meaning as well as the fuller revelation of God unfolded throughout the Old Covenant. In light of what God has, has done, what God has commanded, Abraham indeed followed through with what he said. In this passage, we see how Abraham's name changed from Abram to Abraham, how Sarai changed to Sarah, based on his promises that he would accomplish. Again, reiterating that Sarah is going to bear a son. Ishmael is not going to be your heir. But here's, here's the amazing thing. I mean, these are promises that are made to Abraham. This is the distinguishing mark that God has made to Abraham in light of of all that he had promised him as a constant reminder, a constant reminder to even the descendants thereafter. But putting, putting in perspective what's going on with Abraham, this is truly an amazing grace of God that he would do this. He is going to give him a distinguishing mark as the sign and seal of this covenant. You're mine. I'm your God. Here's what I'm going to do for you. Here's the sign between me and you of the promise that I'm making. In light of what I have done, therefore walk before me blameless. What is he saying? Trust me. Believe in me. Have confidence in me. Even in the time in which Abraham is doubting. That's the only reason you can really come up with as to why he would jump the gun and say, okay, well, Sarai wants me to take Hagar, so maybe this is how the Lord has you know, decided for it to be. I mean, here we are 11 years later, well, actually 10 years later, nothing, nothing's happened, nothing's changed, so why isn't the Lord working as he told me that he would? And so then doubt begins to come over. His wife is doubting, apparently. That's why she makes the suggestion. Then after Ishmael is born, then perhaps maybe Abraham thinks, well, maybe this was it. Surely there's nothing else. Thirteen years go by until the Lord speaks to him again. In the time of his doubt, in the time of, of presuming upon the Lord, the Lord graciously meets him. 
to reiterate, that's not what I said. Here's what I said. Because this is, this is revealing to us the gracious nature of God, even in light of sin among His people. It is, it is now the Lord saying, here's the sign, Abraham. When you begin to doubt, go back to the distinguishing mark that I have given you. And it's so, it's so amazing to see the character of God. Because being, being understood in this kind of a way, because we look at God so often. And maybe, maybe it's not necessarily purposeful, but we look to God so much as just being ready to pounce on us in any moment. Because, and in, light, and it's, and in some ways that's not necessarily a bad thing because we recognize that we have sinned and that we deserve that. But at the same time, that's not how God responds to us. There is the gracious nature of God that is found in Christ in which He is gracious to sinners. He is kind to us even when we, even when we don't deserve. There was no reason that God had any reason whatsoever to continue on in this covenant with Abraham after he doubts him and then jumps the gun to do another plan. There was no reason for God to continue on. But there's a reiteration of God's, God's graciousness to him and his love that he has set upon Abraham. Abraham, here's my promises. And I will bring these to pass. And if we ever doubt any of that, his conduct alone would have disqualified him if it was based on that. But that covenant is not based upon that. It's based upon the faithfulness of God to do exactly what he said. And he calls upon Abraham in the time that you doubt, remember the sign between us. Now, this is no different as we've been talking about. We like to put a big wedge in between the old and the new of the testaments. There is no wedge. You know, the covenant that God is making with Abraham is just an extension of the covenant of grace that we read of beforehand in Genesis 3.15 of the promised Redeemer. The very covenant that is being expounded here, or, or yeah, expounded, really, is the same covenant that we have the privilege of being part of as well. Because it is Christ that brings to fruition the covenant of grace. It is Christ who confirms the covenant. That we are also part of this covenant. That is being explained here. That is being expounded for us. Revealed even more. And that's what all the covenants do of the Old Testament. They just reveal more and more of the first covenant in Genesis 3.15. The graciousness of God that was shown to Abraham in his time of doubt is the same gracious God who shows you kindness in your time of doubt. This is the same God who loved Abraham in spite of his, his failures. This is the same God that loves you in spite of your failures. He hasn't excluded you from the covenant that he has made with you in Christ. You know what he does? Instead, he reiterates to you, just like he did to Abraham, these are my promises to you, and I will bring these to pass. And then, perhaps a little further, he says, 
Remember the distinguishing mark that I have given to you. And we may look at that. What distinguishing mark? Your baptism. Circumcision is the sign of this particular extension of the covenant of grace to Abraham and to the people of God thereafter. Baptism is the sign of the new covenant in which it's called new because Christ has brought to pass everything that was foretold beforehand and fulfilled everything, so it's basically like it's new. But it's really the fullest extension of the covenant of grace that was given beforehand. And he says, the sign that I have given you as the distinguishing mark is that of baptism. Just as it was with the first sign, no one else is going to know except you. No one else can see it except you. Baptism is the same thing. Maybe someone wasn't present whenever you were baptized. Not that baptism is what is granting you favor before God, but it should be a reminder to you that just as water is a cleansing agent, I have given you my spirit to cleanse you, and I will cleanse you fully at my appointed time. Because this is my promise to you. Because the promise to us is being glorified in Christ. Living with Him forever and ever. Just as it was with the distinguishing mark to Abraham, so it is with us. So what do we do when we doubt? Well, much of what we have to do whenever we doubt is to be reminded again what God has done for us in Christ. Be reminded again of how the Lord has changed us by His Spirit to see the working of God in our life. Can you see it? Can you see how the Lord has brought you along from the time of your conversion until now? Can you see the growth that He has promoted in you? Can you see the greater love that He has granted to you for His Son? Can you see the greater confidence that you have in Him versus when you were first converted? Can you see how the Lord has consistently throughout your walk with Him demonstrated His continued work and presence in you? Because in the time that you doubt, this is what you go back to. You don't go back to your your conduct of how you have sinned against Him. Because when you do that, that is now going to be a means for you to doubt even further. Well, He surely can't love me in light of this. But if you remember, His love for you is unconditional in His Son. He has chosen to set His affections upon you based on nothing else than His own gracious nature. If you remember that, and you remember He loves me in spite of myself. He's kind to me in spite of all my failures. He is gracious to me when I deserve justice. There is that outworking of faith that we look to to be reminded that God is truly present with us, working in us, and accomplishing all that He desires in us. The fact of your affection for Christ is a demonstration of God's love, or God's working in you. 
because the unregenerate don't have that. They don't have an affection for Christ. They have great affection for themselves. Great affection for those that love them. They don't have a great affection for Christ. That's why in the time of your doubt, you do exactly what Peter says. When Peter gives the wonderful qualities of what it is to be a child of God and growing in the faith and sanctification and all of that, he says, so make sure of your calling and election in him. If you practice these things, you'll never stumble. Times of doubt are going to come. Maybe, and actually I would say much of the time, doubting occurs as a result of sin that is in our life. Blatant sin that is risen up within our life. It then makes us begin to doubt. That is inevitably going to come. It happens. Because we can't purge ourselves of sin. So it's going to be present with us until the Lord calls us home. It's something we're going to have to continually battle with. But the very tools that we need in order to endure those times of doubt is to be reminded of the promises of God and the love of God. I like what John Piper said. Write a passage of scripture out on a little piece of paper. Keep it in your wallet. Put it in your purse. In the time in which you're, you're struggling or you're having doubt, you pull that out and you look at it and you be reminded that the scripture tells me, but God demonstrated his own love towards us even while we were yet sinners. Christ died for us. Or whatever scripture you choose to use. You know, one of the old Puritans, as he was beckoning sinners to come to Christ. He says, sinners, flee to Christ. And if you perish, then you perish in His arms. Even for the regenerate and the redeemed, in the time of your doubt, you run to Christ. You don't run away from Him. You run to Him. And the very thing that you will find whenever you run back to Christ in the time in which you perhaps have, have sinned against Him so greatly you will see him in the same way that the prodigal son saw his father with open arms ready to receive you because he didn't go nowhere. There are things that we need to do to be prepared for those times. So you, you focus yourself on the promise of God, on the promises of God, be reminded of how God has worked in you from the time of your conversion, that you see the effects of the working of the Spirit of God in you. Be reminded of those things. Be reminded of the affection that God has, has brought about in you for Him. And you run. Run back to Him. Be reminded of what baptism meant when you were first baptized. This is the working of God in me. And it's symbolized in that. He has cleansed me. And he did it out of a gracious act of his kindness. Remind yourself of what you know to be true rather than running further and further in the areas of error, falsehood, and lies that the enemy will put into your mind. Your God is a gracious God. Your God is a kind God who has given you distinguishing marks that you can be assured of His promises to you.
you can't have assurance. Actually, as Jason had preached through the entire epistle of 1 John, that's the book of assurance. Go back and read 1 John. Immerse yourself in the Word of God. Whatever you need to do when it comes to immersing yourself in truth. To be reminded of what you know to be true. And I pray that in the coming days in which we find ourselves in those times, that we would rely on each other as well to help us to be reminded of that. It's not that anybody can say to you that you are a Christian or that you are saved. Only you know that and only the Lord knows that. But they can begin to speak the truths to you that if you are a believer, these truths will resonate with you. So let us indeed help each other, love each other, and remind each other of the covenant that we have been privileged to enter into, the God who has graciously allowed us into that covenant, who has graciously granted us faith, and who will bring to pass what he has promised. If we doubt that anymore, what he promised to Abraham did come to pass. What he promised the people of Israel as a whole did come to pass. Everything that he said he would do, he has always done. That's why, look to the scripture. God has never relinquished one promise he ever made. The greatest promise that God has ever made, if it's okay to distinguish them in that way, was the promise of the Redeemer. If we look at it from our perspective, probably the most difficult thing that God has ever done as far as the emotional aspect of it, from our level of thinking, will be to send His own Son to endure His own wrath. And He kept that promise. Every other promise pales into comparison when it comes to that one. And what does he say? He who did not spare his own son but delivered him over for us all, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? He's trustworthy. He's faithful. Have confidence in your God. Let's pray together. Gracious God, Thank you so much for your word, which reminds us of who you are, reminds us of your great promises, the great promises that you made to your people throughout the history of, of the world. You've always been faithful, even in times of unfaithfulness, you're always faithful. Father, let us be reminded of your gracious nature, not to take it for granted but to allow it to be an encouragement and a strength to us of your continued love for us in Christ. Help us to do what we know to be right among each other and in the times in which we are struggling. Remind us who you are. Thank you so much for the gift of salvation and the gift of being able to call upon you in our time of need to know that you will never forsake us even in spite of ourselves. You are faithful and we praise your holy name that our salvation is dependent upon you and not us. Be glorified in us. 
Help us daily. And may we please you in all that we do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for your attention. You are dismissed.